In this episode of my podcast, I'm in conversation with a genius whose name is Ryan O'Neill, and he puts out his music under the name of Sleeping At Last. He is a singer-songwriter producer. His music is featured on shows like Grey's Anatomy, blockbuster movies like The Twilight, series of movies, and we talked all things creativity, personal development, communication, um, what things we do to look after ourselves internally, our non-negotiable weirdness, idiosyncrasies. You're going to love it. Enjoy. I have been a fan of your work for a long time, and I'm so appreciative of your music and the difference it's made to my world. Wow, thank you. That is, I'm deeply honored. Thank you so much. Just a little bit of background for our listeners to get a location on you for whatever degree you can do that to. You are in Illinois? Illinois, yep. I'm in the suburbs of Chicago. Okay, that, that's your hometown, your, your place yes. of origin, or what? Exactly. I was born and raised about actually 10 miles from, uh, from where I currently live, so I didn't, I didn't get very far. And what can you see from where you are? Uh, right now, I am looking at computer screens, so pretty boring. I have a, a, a partial window that I can see a little bit of sunlight, but not much. <laughs> and so you, I know you do a lot of podcasts. Your podcasts are amazing, but oh. is your, I mean, just to encourage some of our listeners that are aspiring podcasters, I guess your setup is quite um, uh, established by now, but the beginnings don't need all that stuff, I guess, eh? No, not at all. I feel like technology is at the point now where really it's it's fairly inexpensive to just get amazing sounding stuff right out of the box. You know, like your 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 computer probably already has everything you need built in, and uh, at best maybe you know plugging in a USB microphone. But I have a I have actually a really simple setup, and I've I've, I've sort of approached my music and um, an extension of the music as with the podcast, uh, with just really really simple gear. So I've got a microphone that is the same microphone I, I sing all my songs through. Uh, that I do my podcast on, and then that just runs through um, one uh, little preamp, and then it goes into my my computer. So it's pretty pretty basic. Very cool. Now, um, what I think a lot of people, uh, I certainly find this confusing, is that Sleeping at Last is not a band. <laughs> yeah, it is a little. It, is, it has never been a band, right? It, it, you know, it actually originated as a band. My brother played drums and my best friend Dan played piano. Um, and so it did, it did originate as a band and they've always been kind of my personal journal of songs. And so uh, when they went on to, to do other things many years ago, I, I carried on with the name. I kind of like the idea of having it be uh, not under Ryan O'Neill. I like the idea of having, having it be its own identity outside of myself. <laughs> so it is where, where did the name come from? What does it mean? So I, it actually came a long time ago when I was just starting out in music. I was trying to figure out like, what, what am I going to name my music? And um, I was flipping through a poetry book and I think I jokingly said to a friend, all right, whatever, whatever page I turn to next is going to be the, the, the band name. And uh, it was a poem, a poem by Christina Rossetti called Sleeping at Last. And um, having nothing to do with the poem, which I think is, is quite sad, um, I just love that idea. And it's interesting too, over the, the past you know, 15, 20 years of making music, under that name uh, I feel like that that name has meant more as I grew up and, and my music gets calmer and gentler <laughs> so well I'm glad that isn't the primary default mode of guidance for your life let's yeah, exactly the page. Flipping a page. <laughs> it's you how I decide where could to live that could have been far worse on the next page yeah <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> now Ryan are you guys in lockdown there still we are. Yeah, we're in Chicago. We're here until the end of the month, end of May. So we have been in, uh, in quarantine mode and uh, it's, uh, it's been good. I feel really grateful because uh, I work from home anyway. So I'm writing and recording music all day long. So for us, we feel very grateful that, um, that our, our normal life doesn't look all that different than quarantine life. We're, we're missing our friends and family for sure, but we, we feel grateful. Yes, I think... Um... For me as an introvert, I think similar to you, I feel it's not a lot different to my normal life. I think if in another life, I could have happily been a hermit in a cave with books. <laughs> I agree with you. I might be that way too. There's there's a couple things like uh, even with food delivery, the, the no contact delivery, I'm kind of like, hmm, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan, what do you think of any of the good changes do you feel may come out of the pandemic for us all? Have you given much thought to that? 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm I always hopeful. Am hopeful about the bright spots of of difficult things. So I, I do see so many people finally making time to create things, and I think that the 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 creative spark that is going on right now is really beautiful. I also think that there's a there's a level of authenticity. You know, even seeing like certain late shows that are recording from home, and all everybody's doing stuff from their from their real life, their normal life, and and that that level of sincerity feels important. And I hope that there's some, there's some good that can come out of that at the, on the other side of this. Uh, but I definitely feel like the, the, the creative boom right now. I mean, even for me, uh, we, we can't make excuses about not making things. A lot of us, <laughs> we've got, got plenty of time on our hands right now. Um, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that a lot of really beautiful things will get made out of this time. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I know, uh, obviously, to the degree I do what you do and your sound and your music and so on. But uh, I wonder if you could describe what you do as if you were telling it to a stranger. Absolutely. So um, <laughs> I write songs. Um, it, it's kind of, I treat it sort of like my, my audio journal. <laughs> so, which, uh, which sounds very self-serving and it is, um, but these songs are really intimate. They, they mean a lot to me. I, I sort of, my, my criteria for writing music is basically, um, am I proud of it? And is it true? And so um, that's been, since I was probably about 15 or 16 years old, that's sort of been my, my, my aim for anything that I make. And um, so it, that ends up being pretty uh, uh, vulnerable music. Um, so for anybody that hasn't heard my, my work, it, it is, um, it's, it's very calming. The name Sleeping at Last does make a lot of sense, like I said. <laughs> um, might put you to sleep a little bit. Um, but it's really an exploration of, of my perspective of life and my, whether it's my, um, my uh, uh, faith or my, my relationships or um, it's just, uh, it really is my, my journal. And um, I, over the past maybe five or six years, I've been really excited to write in more thematic ways so I will kind of lay out or map out different themes to write about and um, so my music kind of has this uh, this template or this framework of like okay I'm going to write songs based on the uh, the five human senses and uh, so I have some jumping off points but really it all comes back to just being these these intimate songs that mean a lot to me. One of the things that I speak about Ryan in my communication masterclass that I've done around the world live for 10 years and only a week ago put it as an online video course is what I call the art of capture. It's something I realized I did as a communicator. I've noticed in your work, I think you do this all the time. I don't know what you call your version of it. Capture to me is taking a mental or an emotional imprint of something and then turning it into a, an idea, in your case, a piece of music, in my case, a message I might speak on in the corporate world, perhaps a product and so on and so on. The art of capture. I think you do that amazingly well because it seems to me that your work is built around, as you just said, five senses or the Enneagram and so on, which I'll talk about in a moment. So is that a major part of your creative process, beginning with some form of capture? Yeah, you know, that's, I, I think it's so beautiful that you, you mentioned that. It's perfect terminology. Um, I've actually, the way I, that I write songs is exactly, I, I think I call it um, just I'm constantly collecting. So it's a, a collection service that I do. So I'll sit down at the piano and I'll press record on my, my iPhone and uh, we'll just play something. And if something feels right, I will just try to record it and I will forget it and I'll put it away. I won't listen to it right away. I'll just, you know, keep doing that on a daily practice and eventually I'll go back through and I feel like I get to hear it for the first time because I don't, mm -hmm. I genuinely don't remember recording it. And I, I yeah. do that same approach for, um, for writing lyrics too. I try to write as often as I can just free write without music or without any, any point in mind. And uh, whether it's a word that just makes sense to me today or something that I'm curious about, and I'll kind of just scribble that stuff down. And uh, when it's time to write lyrics, I'll go back through those collections um, of everything that I've captured and uh, and try to figure out kind of, it, then it's almost like jigsaw puzzling. My <laughs> my wife actually loves uh, puzzles and um, she doesn't know why, uh, like recently it just occurred to me like, I don't, I don't particularly love jigsaw puzzles because it feels exactly like writing lyrics. But do you, like a jigsaw uh, metaphor, do you start with a box lid picture in your head and work backwards? 
I do a little bit. Um, and more recently, because of these themes that I'm writing off of, um, mm. that actually probably serves as a perfect example um, where it is, if I'm writing songs based on the four basic human emotions, um, I, I know that this song is going to be called Sorrow. I don't know what it's going to be about. I don't know my interpretation about it, but I know that that, that box is going to look at least not super happy. So it, it gives me at least a little bit of a, a direction as I'm putting all those pieces together. If you feel that one of those human emotions, or even the Enneagram that you do, but say the human emotions, if particularly you as a person identify more easily with one emotion than another, as with the Enneagram, how do you inhabit that emotion if it's not common to you? Yeah, that's been one of my favorite parts of writing in theme is that I get to learn a whole lot about mm. all the different subjects. I, I I do some deep dives in, you know, whether it's books or trying to, you know, round up any video or documentary I can find about a certain subject. For for the Enneagram songs in particular, that was a, a larger challenge because it was presumptuous of me to assume that I could write from the perspective of, <laughs> of any personality that isn't my I'm own. A I'm at eight, by the way. Thank Are you for you writing know? eight. It's perfect. Oh my gosh, thank you. I, w I was nervous about eight. I was very nervous. I knew that if, if you didn't like it, I'd hear it. <laughs> no, if, you, if we're not like it, we'll hunt you down and find you. <laughs> That's right. Um, but so that actually, I, I, as part of my, my, my project Atlas, which is a lot of this thematic yes. music, Love when I that. announced that I was going to write these Enneagram songs, I, I really didn't think too much about other than as just a fun, creative, like I, I knew I was going to take it very seriously, but I didn't quite realize that um, I started hearing feedback from people that would be like, I can't wait to hear my song. And all of a sudden I realized like, oh my gosh, it's a, that's terrifying. I, I didn't realize that I was, uh, what I was signing up for. Um, and that, that just led to much deeper research and much, uh, I took it very seriously. So I spent, I spent a good couple of years really trying to, um, I went on a couple like retreats to learn about the Enneagram and there's a, uh, it actually worked out really beautifully. I'm a type nine, um, which is the, uh, the type nine is the need to, uh, uh, the need to, to avoid. <laughs> so uh, along the lines of that, I, I, I waited to write my own song last wow. out, of, out of the series. So I started with one. And I just, I tried to have as many conversations as I could with, with folks that identify as each type. And I just kind of wrote down um, different little, whether it's a word or kind of going back to the, the capturing, I just was trying to figure out there's some sort of commonality between all these interviews and these books and there's some language in there. So um, there was a moment pretty much in writing every one of those Enneagram songs where all of a sudden my, my heart kind of broke over something I learned about the type. And I, I think... I realized as I was going on that um, that was kind of the moment that I knew how to write the song and how to write from that perspective a little bit because I could I could see myself in in each of the nine types and uh, that of course led to some identity crises too. <laughs> but um, I, I think I think the best communicators in the world, in my opinion, that I have tried to study and learn from over the years, Ryan, and and, and communicators, stroke leaders, and so on. I think one of their superpowers is empathy. Oh, I feel a lot of empathy in what you do, that you, it seems to me, deliberately put yourself in the shoes, the skin, the space of the people that you feel you're representing through the song. Um, is that something you've always done or something you become more intentional about as you age or what? I think, thank, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, I, I think it is more of a recent, I think I've always, as a, as a type nine, I do feel like there is a, uh, it's that merging quality that, you know, absorbs the opinions and, and perspectives of other people, whoever I'm around. I think that that lends itself to that. Um, but I think more intentionally, I've been trying to channel it into, especially the Enneagram songs. But over, over the last few years, I think I've been really curious about how um, other perspectives um, are, are, are formed and, and I, I always have an easier time um, seeing other people's sides of, of the story. Sometimes I think the problem with, with that outlook is uh, I have a very difficult time figuring out what I actually think and feel. <laughs> so yes. sometimes empathy um, maybe looks, uh, it, it guides me down a path where I'm like, huh, I, I know how 15 other people feel in my life, but I have literally no idea where I stand on any of it because it all makes total sense to me why you'd think one way and why another person would think another way. Um, so 
there is there's some intentionality uh, over the last few years to try to channel that. And then, um, as I said, writing writing the 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 last song for this Enneagram series was a uh, was writing my own song, and that I think I think put a lot of um, it just made a lot of sense, and uh, it brought me to some hard work internally to 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 figure out how to use empathy in a way that isn't um, uh, an avoidance tool for, for my, my friend kind of put it best. I was, I was talking to him about um, uh, a lot of people talk about empathy as the gift of the type nine. And I was, I was telling him that I don't necessarily relate to that. I mean, I, I feel like I can see other people's sides, but I don't necessarily, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's like the gift of the type nine. He's like, well, the, the trick is you have to have empathy towards yourself in order to fully express yeah empathy towards others and that that kicked my butt <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was my nine song is definitely me wrestling with that and searching for um, my own redemption story so it was a little it certainly wasn't easy but it was a it was much um, simpler to find other people's redemption stories than, than my own I, I think I think with your music Ryan I feel that um, empathy throughout it I think one of the reasons I've been drawn to your music for so long is that. I think I've been drawn to the energy of empathy, not just the musicality of it and the production quality and the sounds that you use, but the embedded sense of empathy that I think is foundational to it, which makes me more, I suppose, want to ask you about the difference between what you do and why you do it. In other words, you clearly have a calling that's bigger than music. Music seems to me to be your delivery system Oh, but wow. you seem to me to have a calling that is more fundamental than that. What do you think that is? Why do you do what you do, in other words? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I don't even know if I have a, a decent answer. But I, the word that kind of pops up into my mind is hope. I, I think that whether I'm a musician or a dad or a friend, um, I do feel I, I have this, not not responsibility, but uh, this this desire to to find hope in in everything that i i work on and and see and observe uh and so i I think that that has been kind of this uh this north star in in my creativity especially um is to just find ways of finding that and mining that hope yeah it feels to me that you are uh i feel served by you and i don't know you but i feel served i feel your music is more of a gift to me as a human and I feel it's interpretive of things in my life that you give language to musically. So I feel it's almost like a service that you are giving to us as humans that listen to your music. I don't feel that with all music, but I feel the intentionality of you putting on, if you like, uh, the clothing of a servant when you go to your keyboard or when you are curating sounds, I feel it's all with someone else in mind you know, beyond you or beyond the buyer or beyond the transactional nature of what you do. I feel that that is very powerful with what you do, Ryan, with Sleeping at Last. Wow. That, I'm, I'm not just saying that. That is uh, the highest compliment I can imagine. That's really beautiful. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying today's show with Paul Scanlon and Ryan O'Neill from Sleeping at Last. We just wanted to take a moment and let you know about an offer just for those who listen to the podcast. Paul Scanlon has been publicly speaking now for 40 years all around the world and has recently released his communication masterclass as an online course, which is over seven hours. We want to offer you an exclusive 20% discount off this course as a thank you for listening to his podcast. You can find out more details about the discount in the show notes or head over after the show to paulscanlon.com and use the discount coupon PODCAST20. This will be limited to the first 50 people, so take advantage of it today. Now back to the show where Paul and Ryan continue talking about creativity. Let me ask you a couple of things about your creative process, which I'm fascinated by because, again, um, my form of communication is through public speaking. I'm also an author and so on. So I have my own creative process, but um, I have a, uh, some go-to thoughts about creativity. I wonder if you agree with this idea, for instance, that creativity favors combat boots more than slippers. <laughs> in, other words, in other words, creativity uh, responds better to a solid work ethic than waiting around for an idea to strike you. Do, I think do you subscribe to that? 
I do. I do 100%. I, I read a book when I was probably 15 or 16 years old. It was called um, Songwriters on Songwriting. And, and basically all it is is this, uh, is this large book with pretty much the, the classic traditional songwriters of our time, you know, the, uh, the, the Bob Dylans and the uh, Paul Simon mm. of the world. Mm. And um, I cannot remember, I should look up who said it, but something that stuck with me all these years is that um, songwriting and this applies to all creativity is like waiting for a bus. Uh, so you, you, can, you can make certain that you are gonna show up at the bus stop, but you have no control over when the bus is actually gonna arrive. But you can mm. certainly blow it by not showing up at the bus stop. And I feel like that is exactly the, um, the, the work ethic that I've, I've tried to, to maintain is just like, just keep my butt in the chair and, and show up as much as I possibly can. And, and I also feel like I've learned that with, uh, with everything creative, I do feel like not writing is actually probably more a part of writing than writing itself. <laughs> you know? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> Somerset Maughan, a famous British author called Somerset Maughan Ryan. He stands out in our um, writing history because he was one of the first authors of his era to make a very good living from turning professional as a writer. And Somerset Maugham was asked once he became quite famous in his era, did he, did he write when inspiration struck him or did he write to a schedule? Mm. And he said, I only write when inspiration strikes me. Fortunately, it strikes every morning at 9 a.m. <laughs> that's perfect which is i think what you're saying the combination of showing up if you don't show up for the bus you can't catch the bus if you don't show up and have some place and that's why i asked you where you are a studio a workspace i have an office at work from home but when i come in this space i become this creative work combat boots version of me yeah and during that commitment you and I are making, I think a lot of creatives that are listening to us need to know that guys like you that are doing what you're doing with the success that you've had, um, you go to work every day and it means that you can survive numerous days without feeling inspired, right? And yeah, keep going. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I knew that intuitively, well, not intuitively, after reading that quote, <laughs> it is, is yes. guided guide in my creative process, but I didn't know it quite as, uh, as deeply as I do now. And that started with a project that I, I did in 2010. Um, it's called yearbook. I, right before that, I kind of realized I, I'm writing very few songs. I, I want to write more. Why am I, why am I kind of following the rhythm of like making an album and then going out on tour? And then, uh, there's just long stretches of periods of time where I'm, I'm just not writing. And that's my favorite part of doing music for, for a career is, is writing songs and getting to express myself. So I came up with this idea for a yearbook, which was essentially to challenge myself to write three songs every month for one year. So 36 mm. songs in total. There was no, the only criteria that I had was that I just had to be proud of the work. And that uh, is simple enough, but uh, there were several songs in that process where um, I was, I, I knew the difference. <laughs> wow. so there's a few that met the garbage can, but um, it taught me that, I mean, basically three or four months into that project, um, which I, which I, by the way, I announced and I, I took subscriptions for, so to make me feel accountable to actually doing it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was kind of everything for me to like, I, I can't let other people down. I've got to do it, which if I yes. just left to my own devices, I would have been, I, I'd still be on song two at this point. Um, and uh, I, so I was pushing through and I, I met, you know, writer's block pretty quickly into uh, into that project. And I think the biggest takeaway from, oh. from writing those songs was just that there's there's deeper, better stuff beyond writer's block. And you do have to put on those combo, combat boots, as you said. And the only way you're going to get to those is by wading through it and pushing through it. And um, it is showing up at... You know, I, I think at that point, in order to do that project, I was, uh, this was before kids. <laughs> so yes. I, I, uh, I didn't have the, uh, the, some of the, the um, uh, schedule that I do now, but I, I would wake up at probably nine or 10 in the morning and start working right away and then work until 10 or 12 at night. And then I would get a couple hours before going to bed and doing it all over again. So it, it was truly wow. an all, all, you know, everything I had was going into that. And I think that that taught me uh, not only how to be less precious with, with my, my music and with my art, um, but to, to 
trust that the waiting around for that bus is is not only worth it but it's essential like you have to do it you can't you can't just wait for something to show up especially if you're if you're not in the frame of mind to to know what it is um and so sitting in the studio it's it's too much it's not a sustainable way to make music right. now <laughs> but i think i think it's I think it's a hugely important thing, Ryan, for us to talk about because in this one hit wonder age and the YouTube sensation that people think is a go-to way to hit the big time, yeah. um, rather than speaking about what certainly my generation, uh, I'm 63, I'm a baby boomer, so we grew up with this sort of embedded work ethic that we kind of felt we had to work for everything. No one orders anything. There, yeah. was, no entitled, there was no entitlement mentality with our generation. And I feel as I watch the emerging generation coming up around creativity, I think it's a good thing to speak about the work ethic that people like you and other creatives that are long-term successful. It is a, it is a complete work combat boot ethic uh, rather than what people think is the music came out and it just appeared and you put it out there and it became a hit. It's like people say, you know, we were going 20 years and then we were discovered kind of thing, you know, and nobody talks about yeah. it 20 years before. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. No, I completely, completely agree with that. And I feel like it is, it is essential to, um, I, and I, I think that in creativity too, it, it requires a, a deep love of, of the very unrewarding thing that is making something, <laughs> you know, because in 98% of the time, it doesn't feel like it's turning into anything. And sometimes it just doesn't. Um, so I, I think that, I think that anytime you're, you're spending, um, waiting for it not in the right um, frame of mind is, is is just kind of a waste. It's sort of like uh, waiting for your yeah. phone to read and not being anywhere near your phone. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think you have to, and I get this impression with you very much, you have to love the process. I've listened to you in your podcasting, doing in-depth interviews with people, especially about Enneagram, mm -hmm. and the research that you do and the curating of all of these random sounds that you bank for some future project. It seems to me that you love the process. And I think for me, in terms of communication, I love the process of creating an idea, capturing it. Um, I almost like that more than delivering it. I like the process more than the end product. Do you yeah, feel that a lot? I do. What you I, do? Absolutely do. I absolutely do. I mean, it, 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 it's such a temporary joy to, to share it. And, you know, like it's, something's new for a minute and then it's not. And, and, and it's always exciting to see something grow and, and have a life of its own. Like I love, I love seeing when the, when the songs reach different places or show up on TV shows and things like that. But none of that compares to the joy of just, uh, that creative process, which is, you know, it's a, it's a complicated joy too, because it's, it's a total struggle. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. The process is struggle, but I do, I, I, I would be doing it whether or not people are listening to it. And I, I do love, right. um, I love adding dimension to it. I, when I was, when I was younger, uh, a friend of mine was talking to me, uh, kind of a mentor was, was telling me about songwriting uh, or lyrics. He was giving me tips and asking about the lyrics I was writing at the time. And I just wanted to write things that sounded interesting or cool. And um, he challenged me. He's like, you know what? Great writing is, is saying as much as possible with as few words as possible. And so that's, wow. that's yeah. been this really helpful tool. And I, I, I kind of look at the same uh, or take the same approach to all, all songs. Like, sure, they're, maybe they're three and a half minutes long. But I want, I want every listen to have their – maybe they're three and a half. I want every listen for, for there to be some sort of um, – new dimension or new layer that that comes out or stands out so i, I really try to kind of mm -hmm. chisel in as much um as much inspiration and 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 uh um I, I call them easter eggs i love hiding easter eggs through all of my music and so yes i've heard you say that it's a very good metaphor i like that and i get asked a lot around the world about um you probably get asked this quite a bit too about how do people find their passion, their calling, their why. And I think a good go-to response I've come to decide is to point people to where they love the process rather than to where they're looking for outcomes and results. Because often mm -hmm. the results, the results, as you know, can be very patchy in the early stages. So if you're, if you're looking for X number of views or likes or sales in the early stages, you could feel this is the wrong direction for me and walk away from a process you adore but the results don't say it's worth doing yet. But if you hang around in that space, the results will come, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, 100%, couldn't, couldn't agree more. 
uh, it is, and, and I feel like expectations, which is exactly that, and it's, right. it's waiting for the, the expectations are just a, um, it just, it takes, it takes the air out of the room, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, when I'm thinking this song sure. is going to do this thing, it, it, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but um, it pretty much cannot compare in any way, shape or form to whatever expectations, but you lose expectations when you're in process. And I feel like that, that is a, that is like, I've, I've said before too, even that yearbook thing kind of taught me, you know, before I would, I would, I would think a lot about like, I would want certain opportunities with my music. I would want, you know, for them to, uh, uh, more people to listen to it or to, to show sure. up on a certain TV show. I'd have these yeah. aspirations and it's not that I let go of those, but I think by keeping my head down and doing the work for, especially a project, I, oddly enough, like without those expectations, that's when any of that stuff actually started to happen. It was really unusual because I, the, the less I tried to get it, the, the more, um, opportunity. Wow. Came. And, uh, um, I certainly have seen the opposite be true, uh, in earlier years of my career where the, the harder I aim at something, the, the, the further off the shot is, <laughs> you know, one of the things I've struggled with, and I think a lot of, you know, creatives, um, and certainly people in my, uh, public speaking world, but I think it's the same across the board for whatever you finish up delivering, um, is what I call babysitting my creativity. I wonder how you feel about that, i.e. once you've done the post or posted the manuscript or you have done the thing to camera and press send or you've written the song and gone public with it, this yeah. tendency I have had to hang around almost like its personal defense lawyer to protect <laughs> to protect it from incoming criticism, misunderstanding, um, wrong judgments, to justify it and to stay attached to it beyond when I should. And I found myself getting over attached to my babies, as it were, in your case, your songs and so on. How have you managed that? Has that been a problem for you? Or, have you, or do you kind of just do it and walk away and next project kind of thing? I try to do it and walk away, but that is, you know, as you, as you can imagine, is, uh, is not as successful as it always is, uh, as I want it to be. Um, I, I, I do have a, I, I won't listen to my music again once it's done and I put it out in the world. Really? I will not, wow. I will like, I, I mean, there are situations where I have to, like uh, when we press vinyl, somebody has to proof that the, the, the pressing was correct. And uh, I hate doing that. <laughs> so wow. I have to re-listen to a whole project and nine, nine times out of 10, I, I feel more proud than, you know, disappointed, but I, I just can't, um, I feel like when I let go of something, when I let go of a song, it feels, it feels whatever intuition version of done is <laughs> that wow. I I, I know I'll second guess it if I come back to it. So, I, but I do feel that sense. Like I, I, I always want to chase after the songs after they come out, you know, to, to peer into the comment section. And um, thankfully I, my, the people that listen to my music are, are incredibly kind. And I, I, I rarely, um, well, that's not true. I, I <laughs> it's not totally rarely, but the, the positive comments are, are far outweighing the negative ones. And of course, you know, the brain only can compensate the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They can only uh, comprehend the, the negative ones and I blow it completely out of proportion, but that is exactly like you said, it's like going around and, uh, watching over it like it's uh like i'm some sort of defense lawyer like you said <laughs> yeah i heard brad pitt in an interview recently when he's sort of stepped back into his mainstream acting career he was interviewed recently after he got the oscar um for um his latest tarantino movie and someone was asking him on the red carpet about a movie he did and asked him about that movie and the response to the movie it got and it was going back some years and Brad Pitt just stood, scratched his head and genuinely had no recall <laughs> of, of the experience in the movie, of uh, what happened to it next. And he said to the person interviewing him, he said, honestly, he said, I know this may sound weird. He said, but I just don't have that kind of relationship with my work. I do the project. I finish it. I go to the next thing. And I thought it spoke to me that day because of this babysitting creativity thing, like you just said. Yeah, I do the movie, I move on. I think it's a very healthy thing for creatives to pay attention to rather than get over attached because once your once your kind of status or identity um, is attached to it or your ego is attached to it and it gets hammered or it doesn't get a big response, it's recovering from that can be very difficult. And as you know, many people in this creative world are very up and down according to the reception of whatever they do. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. No, all of that is 100% true. And I, I am uh, a work in progress in all of that because I do, I see the, I see the dangerous nature of, um, and some of my realizations actually in, in writing that Enneagram 9 song uh, stems from this, but I, I realize that a lot of my emotional processing in this very intimate type of songwriting is, um, it kind of gives me permission to think that I'm more in touch with my feelings and my emotions than maybe I am in my real life. And I feel like it actually kind of, uh, it made me realize that my identity is deeply tied to sleeping at last. Like uh, in, in some cases, I almost feel like I'm more sleeping at last than Ryan, <laughs> you know? right. wow. which wow. is dangerous. That's not a, that it should be a, an over my, yeah. my creativity should be an overflow of who I am. And I think it naturally yes. is for everyone, but, it is so easy to get deeply attached and and on a creative level too i i learned a long time ago that um spending forever on on recording a song or writing a song does not equal uh that it's going to be better and I, like my first record that i ever made um wow. was for um interscope records and it was i i had I had a good year they they allowed like the budget was pretty crazy for for a young recording artist to uh, uh to just take all the sweet time <laughs> that, we, yeah. that we want to and uh i i hear it now and i hear that like what was beautiful about some of those initial ideas um is is buried in in a lot of uh a lot of insecurity and in a lot of like you know worrying about guitar sounds and worrying about things that don't actually matter and so when i started that yearbook project that i keep mentioning uh, i think that also um kind of along the lines of what i was saying it, it helped me to feel less precious about the music as a whole wow. Which yes. ironically now, I, if I listen back to it, like, of course, there's things that I would change or that I'd be, you know, um, insecure about. But I, I feel a, a much deeper connection to those songs. They feel they feel like the original spark of every one of those ideas. They also feel like um, uh, they just feel more real and more me. Um, and so I, I've been trying to kind of have this healthy balance of, of uh, staying out of the way. Don't, don't try to overcook these songs, but also when they're done, let them really be done and, and try to walk away. I wish that I could be like that, uh, that actor and completely for, <laughs> forget yeah, about Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Yeah. I can do that in, uh, you know, other areas of life, which is probably not a good thing to do, but um when it comes yeah. to uh, my projects, I, I, I have, uh, I'm definitely haunted by uh, <laughs> certain mistakes or. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, 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 seems it, to, it, yeah. it seems to me that you are just as comfortable though, Ryan, with lyric and music. Do you feel that or do you air more naturally to one than the other? Well, that's a great question. I, I do probably feel like it's a pretty even balance for. Okay. It feels um, like that. Yeah. My, my skill level, but I, I do feel like. I would say more often than not, I feel like words are preferences. So it's not even about being better or not, you know, um, it, but music, I, I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a level of skill in music that um, I wish I had <laughs> that, yes. like, that I know that I can do exactly what I want to do. But I also know um, many, many of my friends that aren't even musicians are technically better piano players than me. <laughs> like, they'll sit right, down and play right. a piece like, Oh, that would take me six years to learn with just my left hand. <laughs> you know, like, wow. I don't know how you're doing that with two hands. Um, mm. And so, uh, like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a, I, I do feel like um, I, I probably am more natural at writing lyrics, but I think that's just due to the nature of uh, words are such preferences, you know, it's a, there is a craft involved, but it's a, uh, I just am writing what I like with music. I feel like, oh man, I wish I could, I wish I could write something more complex on, on from time to time. In recent years, I've been speaking around the world quite a lot about something I'll I call the prosperity of the soul, um, focusing on the need for us as humans to live more from the soul and less from the ego. And no. the awareness that we are, I think, entering a whole new era in the world, and I think it's going to be accelerated post-pandemic, of people aware that despite being the most sophisticated generation of all time, we are still yet the sickest, most depressed, suicidal, and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think any organizations, businesses, political groups, creatives, churches, and so on, that are committed to the, to the, to the call of human flourishing um, mm. and helping people live from that essential part of themselves that is usually neglected, certainly in the Western world, and 
um, I wondered what lights you up? How do you take care of your soul? How do you stay healthy, Ryan, internally? What do you do to keep in the kind of health you need to be in to produce the stuff you're producing? Wow, that's a great question. I, I do think that, so I have two little girls. I have a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I do feel like they are, they are my, my conduit to uh, all oh, things yeah. goal. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, uh, they they definitely help um, in that centering. Um, at the same time as you know, getting less great sleep than I need to and all that. But um, yeah. they're the first they're the first thing that comes to mind. But um, I would say also um, there's the practice of, of mindfulness. I, I I try to meditate from from time to time. I'm not great at it. It's always like this thing that I like to talk more about than do. <laughs> so yes. yeah. I'm always yeah, yeah. promoting, you know headspace or whatever whatever um whatever meditation thing i'm excited about and then uh, i do it once in a month or something um but that it, it is it is extremely helpful um and also just being more i feel like i connect more to that um my soul or my 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 the the true essence of who i am when mm. i am creative so it actually does help like it's kind of right even though I have to be careful with those identity and ego connections that I, that I sometimes yes. feel in yeah, my music, me too. That, that sitting down and writing, not for a project, not for anything other than because I feel like doing it. Like I'll, I'll sit at the piano and I do feel like there's a, uh, my, my body remembers that it's something that I deeply, deeply love. And my mm. brain will sometimes, you know, click into, into work mode, but um, there there are beautiful moments where I, I, and I've been trying to do this more often um, where I, I just sit down and, and I, I don't even record it. I'm just, I'm just doing it because it feels like something there I want. That, that helps yeah. my soul too. I think when you said I'd do this, if I had to do it for free, he tells me everything about your love of what you do. People ask me, what do you do for fun? What do you do for play? And I know yeah. they mean everything except work. But my answer often is my work. My yeah. work is my play, is my play, but it sounds like, it sounds like you're, you know, you're flunking the test and you're dodging the answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It does. And it, I mean, it is what, what a gift that it is actually that way, right? Like we, that we get to, um, that we'd be choosing to do the same thing, whether or not we're, yes. we're making a yes. living. Or not. Yeah, like, it's a blessing. Hey, how, Ryan, how old are you now? How old are you I'm now? 36. Um, 36. Okay. Well, I'm still going to ask you this question. What would you say? Any advice to a younger Ryan, maybe your late teens, maybe early twenties, anything you wish someone had said to you that you would have wished you'd known sooner than you figured out, I don't know, two years ago or when you entered your thirties. Have you thought about that much as you age? I know 36 isn't old compared to me at 63, but I thought about it a lot in my midlife. Uh, you know, I, I keep referencing that same song and I'm sorry, <laughs> I feel like a one note, uh, <laughs> but the, the song nine that I wrote, um, yes, really, it was really about that. I recognize that basically since the age of 14 or 15, I, at that point, I think just by growing up a little bit and some, some circumstances in my life, like led to, led to a, a, a turning down of my heart and my emotions. So even though I'm channeling it all in, in my songs and that's great and that gives me permission to explore it somewhere, but um, I would tell that, that former self that that's the, that's the best part of who I am and who, wow. you know, um, and to not turn that down, to turn it back up and leave it, leave it as, as vulnerable and uh, dangerous as it might be to kind of lead with your heart or lead with your, uh, the emotional part of who you are. Um, and not that I, not that I am, haven't been or have denied that part. I just have shrunk it down, um, for, you know, to keep, keep me safe. And so I would definitely, um, I, I'm still now as 36 trying to remember that part of me, but, um, I, it would probably be easier if I had known that at 14. <laughs> what I loved about your approach to Enneagram though, Ryan was, and you made this very clear on every one, is that you approach them all with this celebrating of each of these types of people rather than judgment or suspicion um, because the others were very different to you. I think your sense of embracing all types was such a great approach to all the Enneagrams. Like your interviews and everything, we're trying to find out what is the genius each of these people bring, knowing that many of them didn't frame it as genius. 
Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I did, I did feel early on that it would be a really empty project if it was just descriptive or it would just right. be soulless if it, if it was just talking about the, the baggage that we all carry around. So there was, I was trying to figure out a balance between um, being really honest about that baggage and about the, the struggles and the weight of it. And I think the way I was able to do that was just by seeing that I, I actually have all those struggles and the weight in me too. So <laughs> it's easy to, easy to relate to. Um, but I really did. I wanted them to be nine stories of redemption. And, and I also wanted them to be um, these songs to feel, uh, I think I realized this halfway through the process that, that not only are they stories of redemption, but really the best version of every type is, is a form of letting go. And yes. uh, I, I like, and I, I've been, I've been learning, learning a little bit about spiral dynamics. Are you, are you familiar with spiral dynamics? No. Um, no. It's this, I'm, I'm terrible probably at talking about it because I'm so new to it and it's probably, um, <laughs> there's there's probably a way to um, that I'm gonna dumb it down on accident. Um, but it, it is essentially this, uh, uh, this kind of unearthed, um, I think Don Beck and uh, uh, maybe Ken Wilber, I, I can't remember the exact origins of this, but it's basically seeing throughout the history of human beings, this, this, um, these levels of development that, mm. that are occurring. And uh, um, each one, it starts from the very beginning of, of, of survival all the way up to kind of where we currently are at, which is, uh, you know, this, this need for success and this need for this drive and ambition and this mm. kind of explosion of technology and everything in between. And it kind of talks about the formations of, of religion and cause and effect and, um, it kind of fluctuates back and forth from from uh, like an I, uh, me centered emphasis on each level than going to a collective community we sense. Um, so it, it's this really beautiful um, understanding of, of human development. And uh, the same thing that I realized about the Enneagram is it seems it rings very true of all of these different uh, uh, levels of spiral dynamics, which is just, it's just in order to get to the, the better versions of who we are, it's just letting go. That's all. Well, <laughs> well could, I feel, I feel another album coming on right there. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I actually, so Atlas three, even though it won't be songs about spiral dynamics, it, it is sort of going to be, uh, it will serve as the underpinning for, uh, for the order. Yeah. Which I, I Very really, cool. Yeah. Listen, man, I don't want to take a lot more of your time, but I want to ask you two more things. Uh, one, one last thing I want to ask you about, um, uh, any particular, uh, how can I phrase this quirks, idiosyncrasies, weirdness that you have that to you are non-negotiables you know i have things in me that people think are odd or weird or idiosyncratic and it's always been said to me historically growing up as a criticism and i've come to realize it's it's a non-negotiable part of who i am once i settled that that weirdness sort of found a home and a safety in me and became a blessing to others. But I think um, I think the future belongs to weird people, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I think things are changing more towards that direction in all walks of life. Anything that you have struggled with in your life that people have seen that, or you've come to think at 36, that's just me. I love that about me. <laughs> um, my my deep adoration and love of Disney <laughs> is <laughs> growing the older I get and not shrinking down. <laughs> Um, and I, I do feel like that there's a, there's just an optimism about the, uh, some of the original ideas of everything that Disney stands for. You know, of course it's a giant yes, company and it is, uh, uh, there's, there's probably many, many things to critique about it, but it, it still, it still centers back to this, this really beautiful idea of, of hope and, and family. And, um, right. I don't know, I feel like somehow it, 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 uh, it highlights some of the best of us. And, um, and so I, my love for that is pretty deep. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to tone it down around most friends because uh, not, not everybody is as, uh, as big of a Disney fan as I am. <laughs> well, I could, I could so imagine you writing for a Disney movie in the future, doing a whole score for a movie. You would be brilliant at that. So I hope they're listening. <laughs> I'm in. Ryan, any hobbies? Ah, I love movies. So I, uh, I, I try every year to, uh, I keep track of every movie I watch and I give a little rating or um, just, I, I just love kind of keeping track, especially when people are like, what, what have you seen recently? I can quickly reference my notes. Um, but I, I, I have like a, a very flexible goal of seeing about a hundred films a year and uh, oh, I've only been able yeah. to hit that 
maybe once or twice, but um, it, it keeps me trying. And I just, I love, I love that format of storytelling. And I, I feel like it's like the, the best of all art forms because it's visual, it's audible, you know, it's audio, it's, it's acting, it's, it's kind of everything. And uh, yeah, so that I would say just viewing movies as a hobby is that, can that be considered a hobby? I think it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you see? Did you like see the Netflix uh, series Jerry Seinfeld did Comedians in Cars? I love that show. Yes, I love it. Me so too. Much. From a creative point of view, of interviewing them about their craft, I found that amazing. And I, honestly, I, honestly, I found Seinfeld often more interesting than the guests. Yep, absolutely. His his perspectives are are yes very unique, and uh, I, I love I love his stance on fame and uh, just uh, yes, seeing, me too. Him and his guests, uh, you know, in in these public settings, how they handle people and how they handle each other. I yeah, I love it. It's almost like it's almost like they're uh, especially him. He doesn't take it all that seriously, and I, I right comedian. But there's there's something really beautiful about that. Ryan, how can our listeners find you? Um, give us a little bit of information how we can find you and what you're currently involved in as your upcoming projects. Thank you. Yeah, um, I'm I'm everywhere that social media is. So Sleeping at Last is my my handle pretty much everywhere, and um, SleepingAtLast.com and my music's on Spotify and all all of the the places where music is. Um, and my current project is uh, I'm I'm continuing on that that long form series called Atlas, uh, which is where those Enneagram songs belong and. Um, it, this will be the third installment of, uh, of this project, and I think it's going to be a trilogy. Um, so it started with Atlas One, which is uh, songs based on the origins of all things, and then uh, led to Atlas Two, which is uh, us. It's all about life and human involuntary human development. And then uh, this next chapter, Atlas Three, will be all about voluntary human development. So everything we do with all that we're given. So I'm very excited to kind of launch into that and but that's, that's what I'll be, that's what I'll be spending the next few years on, I think, um, which will be a lot of fun. Thank you. Fantastic. Listen, I want to say thank you for your time and thank you okay. again for your, for your voice. I don't just mean your singing voice, but the, the body of work that you are presenting to the world, that sense of gathered voice, your, your vocal fingerprint as a human is a beautiful thing. And I think it's very, very um, embedded in everything you do. And I think we are all the better for it. And I hope, more wow. people find their way to what you're producing because I feel it's a service to humanity rather than just uh, songwriting or music producing. I think you are a genius, my friend, and I'm so oh, privileged to have had this time with you. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Seriously, thank you. What a, what a delight it is to get to talk. We hope you enjoyed this show with Paul Scanlon and Ryan O'Neill from Sleeping At Last. We'd love for you to subscribe, write a review, and share with those you think might be interested. Don't forget about the exclusive 20% discount from Paul's Communication Masterclass course. In this course, there are over 34 videos to do at your own pace. Find out more about the course and the great packages we put together for you at paulscanlon.com and use the discount code PODCAST20. And don't forget, this is limited to the first 50 people. Thank you and keep connected with us for more great shows coming up.